Good morning. So this morning it's a communion service, so we're taking a break from our, from the series that we've been following. And um, what we did when we set up the preaching plan was we decided that we wouldn't decide on passages or themes that we would have to use for the communion services. Instead, it was left up to the preacher to um, go with what they felt was right as they were preparing in the weeks leading up to the service. Now, there's always a bit of a risk involved in that, but as I was preparing... This, for this week, I felt led to a passage which, to be honest, I would never have linked with communion. So go with me and um, let's see how it goes. The passage comes from Luke chapter 11. And if you'd like to uh, read along, there are Bibles being distributed. Please just raise a hand and uh, hopefully one will, will reach you. But it's from Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 37, and we'll be reading through to verse 52. Luke 11, starting at verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. The Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. Some quite threatening, sinister language in that passage, but it starts, it starts with an invitation to a meal. The Pharisees 
invite Jesus to come and eat with them. Now, we have this strange scene, don't we? Because actually, most of us in in this society, we'd be on the side of the Pharisees because they invite Jesus in and they wash their hands before they eat. Now, every parent teaches their children, wash your hands before you eat because you don't know where the hands have been. We live in a society which is a lot more hygienic than the society that Jesus lived in. And so we might think that washing hands before a meal Actually, Jesus, you sort of dropped the ball there. That's not a bad piece of advice. But we are, we're missing something, if that's the thought process that we follow. Let me try and give a modern example. One of my pet hates, when I go out for a meal, we can be on a long table, say you've got 15, 20 people, so it's a family celebration or, or there's a big group of friends or something like that, And um, I used to have this at work a lot. We'd go out as a team, we'd take um, some underwriters or some clients out, we'd be on a long table. And there was was a a girl that we used to work in our team, and she she was great, everybody liked her, but she had this habit. Glasses were filled, and you're thinking, oh, looking forward to this, excellent. You pick up your glass, you go to take a drink, and out of the corner of your eye, you see somewhere down the table, she's going through her routine of saying, well, everybody, cheers! And the clinking of glasses begins. Now, if you're on a table with just three or four people, fair enough. It's, it's, quite, you know, it's quite a nice thing to do. If you've got 20 people on a table, it's a chore. <laughs> but, of course, as soon as someone's gone, chink, you have to do it. You look really antisocial and miserable if, if you're like, oh, yeah, all right. You can't, can you? So you have to sort of chink with the person opposite, person reach over a little bit awkward, uh, reach down, oops, sorry, and before you know it, you're carrying out some sort of gymnastic floor routine just to, just to sort of reach over and chink glasses. There's drinks being spilled. It's a nightmare. And it's unnecessary. Now, of course, it came from um, a, a, an ancient ritual, which I think, um, I think it was Viking, but any medieval historians out there might shoot me down with their bow and arrow. Um, but... Um, I think it came from the days when there was always there was a fear that a host might be trying to poison a guest, and the way of um, uh, sort of the gesture to to prove that they weren't trying to poison was that the host would hold out their cup, the guest would pour some of their drink in, and then the host would pour pour it back in. So, in other words, the host was saying, "What I've served to you, I'm prepared to drink myself." And yet, we still do it today. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I've been out to dinner and I've realistically thought there was, there was a genuine chance of me being poisoned. Maybe once or twice with the in-laws, but apart from that, it just, it just doesn't happen today. And yet we still go through this routine because we've, we've almost become legalistic. It's pointless, and yet we still do it. When Jesus sits down with the Pharisees, he sees them going through a routine which has missed the point. You see, when we read Washing Hands what they were doing actually was a token gesture. It wasn't a good scrub and get under the nails and do your th- get your wrists. It wasn't sort of, you know, um, we try and teach Timothy to sing happy birthday while he's washing his hands because that way he spends a proper length of time washing. Um, they weren't doing that. It was more um, just going through a ritual. So dip hands, right, let's eat. We've, we've, we've gone through the motions. We've ticked the box. This is why Jesus purposefully doesn't do it. He goes in, he reclines at a table, 
And I'll tell you, sometimes Jesus must have been, he must have come across as a little bit arrogant, perhaps. He must have come across as, as purpose, purposefully um, uh, sort of baiting and taunting the people he was with. He goes in, he sits down at the table, he looks around, he sees the Pharisees all dipping their fingers and, and going through the ritual. He doesn't do that, he just picks up food and starts eating because he wants to make the point. He's a guest in someone's house. You can understand the Pharisees would be a bit miffed. But Jesus didn't worry about that. He wanted to make the point. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. He's downright rude to his hosts. But he wants to make this point because it is so important, because this point is fundamental to the Christian faith, is it not? Because he's saying... You can do all the, all the outside washing. You can go through the token, um, dipping your fingers just to tick the box to, to, so people see you. But it's what's inside that counts. If the inside is full of greed and wickedness, there's no point cleaning the outside. And Jesus says, give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. And then he begins this series of, of woes. He begins this, this series of um, woe to each, um, each of the, the groups of people that were present. Woe to you Pharisees, in verse 42, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. In other words, they're, they're very, very particular about making sure that everything they have, they give a tenth of. They're, they're, really, they're very legalistic about it. Now, you might say that's a good thing. They don't try and, um, they don't try and, and sort of keep some for themselves, keep some back. They don't try and manipulate the figures, fiddle the books. But Jesus said that in doing that, you neglect justice and the love of God. He says, it's good to tithe. He's touching on some of what we spoke about last week. It's good to tithe. It's good to give away, give away the tenth, but... But you should have practiced the latter without forgetting justice and love of God. Woe to you, Pharisees, verse 43, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market. You see, they, they, they seek status and attention. They expect it because of their wealth, because of their position, but they don't do anything to earn it. Sometimes, sometimes in churches, there are people who just quietly serve. They just quietly wash up if they notice there's something needs washing up, even though they're not on the rotor. They put the chairs away every week without being asked. They always smile, even if they've got an awful time going on in their lives. They want, they want to give someone else the warmth that comes through seeing someone smile. These small things that express the justice and the love of God. You see, when we see people doing these, these small works of service quietly, not expecting any reward, not wanting the attention and the thanks, they're godly people. And we should recognise them. And there are people in this church, there are people across all three congregations that, that we should recognise and that we should make sure that just every now and then we, we just say, you know what, thank you. You don't do what you do for the attention. You don't, you don't do what you do for the status and for the love of man. You do what you do for the love of God. You serve your church. Thank you. 
Jesus says, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. In other words, the Pharisees are dead inside. They're dead inside because they don't actually do anything. They go through the the, the law, they go through the, the legal obligations, they tick the boxes, but they don't actually live out the faith that God wants them to live out. They don't set the example to those around them, helping the poor, feeding the hungry. And then possibly the most sinister of the woes, verse 47. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your forefathers that killed them. Jesus goes, goes back and says to them, you've got blood on your hands. Through the way that generations and generations of Pharisees have, 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 have applied the law, being so strict and punishing people um, for not carrying them out, making the law almost impossible for poor people to carry out. You've got blood on your hands. Prophets have died at the hands of, of Pharisees. And of course, when Jesus says, you build tombs for the prophets, he himself is prophesying. Because it was the Pharisees that eventually led to the crucifixion of Christ. But of course, Jesus wasn't a prophet. He was the son of God. And this is why the, the threat of... Um, I tell you this, this generation will be held responsible for all. In other words, this generation will make the ultimate mistake, will crucify God himself on the cross. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. You see, the key to knowledge is not found in the law. You can be great at practising God's law, says Jesus. The key to it, though, is not in keeping the law. The key to it is responding. It's working out how we should respond. Jesus said, you yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who were entering by making by making the law so, so punishing, so oppressive, so difficult to keep. You've made life almost impossible for those that you should be helping. We should be clean inside. We should be clean on the outside as well. We shouldn't neglect <coughs> making sure that we live godly lives. You see, we all know good people who, 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 do, who do good things. They're lovely people, they're charitable, but they don't know Jesus. We should know Jesus. We should pray. We should read our Bibles. We should do all the, all the things that Jesus tells us to do. But our response is the key. Our response to scripture, our response to prayer, our actions, going out, helping people. We've just seen the, the video that Graham showed. There's so much need in the world. We can come here on a Sunday morning and that, that's, that's brilliant. One of the things that really impressed me about this church, though, um, I mean, I, I, I was impressed by Sunday mornings, that, that's great, but it was when I came in and I saw the mission board. And there's loads of, of pages up there about different mission activities that, that we support as a church, and that is fantastic. And we should make sure that we always do that, we encourage that. Because mission, home and abroad is us playing out our faith 
making a difference in the world, making a difference to the lives of others, changing lives. We should be clean on the outside and clean on the inside. I came back into the church office after Christmas and um, uh, Sarah Hancock is normally very efficient at washing up mugs. And um, <clears throat> at the end of every day, she'll collect them all up, go off into the kitchen, wash them out. And they, they sit there and they're all ready for the next day. Now, the Friday before uh, Christmas, um, she wasn't in. She had a day off. And uh, so the mugs didn't get washed up. They're still sitting around. And I came in, we'd had, um, been off on Saturday, Christmas Day on Sunday, uh, Monday and Tuesday were, were bank holidays. Um, so I came in on the Wednesday. And I was the first person to come back. And the mugs have been sitting there since the previous Friday. <coughs> and... They had, they had new cultures growing in them. It wasn't pleasant. There was, there was lipstick smeared around the outside. That was Sarah's. Um, <laughs> and, and possibly Ian's. Um, and they, they, they were in a real state. It was disgusting. It was horrible. And I walked in and I thought, oh, right, where's a clean one? <laughs> anyway... I, cu- I couldn't find a clean one, so I had to, I had to go and wash up. And I, I washed them all up, but... You know what Jesus says here? He says, if you walk in and the crockery is messy, don't look at the crockery. Look at the person. I know that if, if we'd all been in over Christmas, the first thing we would have done wouldn't have been go to wash the mugs up. It would have been to open, open the Bible, sit down and have a devotional time. Because it's what we do every morning, because it's right to do that. We prepare ourselves on the inside before we worry about going to, to wash up on the outside. Jesus says in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we come before the communion table, we should come. We should come as we are, broken, vulnerable, damaged. We should come owning up to the fact that we're like the coffee mugs left in the office over Christmas. We've got bad bits in us. We should drop the, the charade that sometimes, sometimes we, can, we can wear on the outside when we're, when we're out in the world at work or, or in other places. And instead we can come to the communion table and say, Jesus, I am weary. Please share my burden. Be my help. On the cross, in John's, John's Gospel, we're told that, um, that as Jesus died on the cross, there was despondency. The disciples felt crushed. They felt empty. But then... When the empty tomb was discovered and Jesus started to appear to people, he met with disciples. They were overjoyed. And we're told in in chapter 20, verse 22, that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Again, that's what we do when we come at the communion table. When When we come before the communion table, we come empty, receive the Holy Spirit. We're then filled up 
And we're filled up. We're, it's like we, we're like a broken jigsaw puzzle and the pieces are put together at a communion table. Or it's like a pile of old rubble and we're rebuilt into the thing that Jesus wants us to be through the communion table. Because then, and only then, are we fit to carry out the mission that Jesus has for us. So many churches and different organisations spend so long and so much time and resources working out what their mission statement should be, but it's quite simple. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission statement. That's the mission statement that Jesus gave us. We started off this morning by singing, Come, now is the time to worship. And I was... That was a song that was sort of, it was in my mind earlier in the week, and I didn't mention it to Bernard because I thought, um, he's, he, he knows a lot more worship songs than I do, and I'll, I'll, I'll see what he comes out with. And he sent a draft through a bit later in the week, and the first song on there was Come, Now is the Time to Worship. So I really feel that this morning, we should, we should come, we, we have worshipped, and we should come towards the, to the communion table, not scared of being vulnerable, not scared of being honest with God. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our lives. And then, when we receive communion, or shortly before we receive communion, we're going to listen to another song. And it's a song um, by Tim Hughes, and it's called God of Justice. And what it tells us to do, um, it, it talks about all the, uh, the injustices in the world and what we can do to address them. And there's, there's this refrain at the end which just set, repeats, fill us up and send us out, fill us up and send us out. And that's what we should be, that's what we should be praying for, that's what should we should be aiming for. When we come to the communion table, we can come empty, we can receive, we can receive from God and then we can be sent out full of his spirit, full of his spirit. Now, some of you will be sitting there this morning thinking, okay, yeah, I've heard this before, and I'm sure you have. But do you know what? Yesterday morning I did a park run for the first time in, in years, and um, I, was, I was staggered at how unfit I am, how hard it was, how painful it was, slogging around five kilometres. And it gave me a real shock because um, it, it, was, it was horrible. It was awful. I'm still aching today. Um, now, the reason for that is because in the past six months I've probably been running twice. I haven't done anything since Christmas. No wonder I'm unfit. No wonder my legs are aching. I've struggled to, to, to crawl my way around five kilometres. It's because I haven't put the work in. If we don't keep coming back to these sorts of lessons, if we don't keep reminding ourselves why it is that we believe what we believe, if we don't keep interacting with, with, with scripture and, and praying and worshipping and letting ourselves be vulnerable before God, then we're not going to be trained. We're not going to be spiritually fit enough to carry out the mission that he has for us.